I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show, and thanks for tuning in today. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. So the day this episode comes out, it's going to be December 31st, 2020. It's New Year's Eve. And what a year it has been. You all know my favorite channel that I talk about all the time, the Disorder Channel. You can find it on Roku or Amazon Fire, and some of the content is also available on YouTube. So check it out. These films (laughs) that are all centered around this rare disease community There are even some comedies thrown in there. It's so important that these films are being made and that they're accessible to the world. Right when the channel launched, I cuddled up to watch a few of the films one night as I was so excited that I finally got to see what Bo and Daniel were doing. And I turned on a film randomly called Me, My Sister, and Blau. This film literally touched my soul. (laughs) Uh, the story of Felix and his sister, I I fell in love with this family immediately, and it's something that has stayed with me more than almost any other story I've ever heard. You must watch it when you're done if you haven't seen it. This is an emotional episode as I'm talking to Lexi's mom about her memory and about the grief that comes along with it as they lost little Lexi one year ago. Her big brother Felix is changing the world and he's incredible and him and his family fight every day to continue Lexi's legacy of love and they're determined to find a cure for those living with Blau syndrome. Please enjoy my conversation with Sherilyn Townsend. Hi Sherilyn, thank you for joining me today. Hi Effie, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you again. We connected a couple months, was it months ago already, for the Rare Together Watch Together event with Global Genes. And I was just really honored to meet you and Felix that day. Yeah, I know. It seems crazy that it is months ago. It feels in some ways so long ago, in other ways it flew by. So, Yeah, I, time doesn't really make sense. It's like the Twilight Zone. Well, let's actually start there. I found out about you because you submitted a film to the Disorder Channel called Me, My Sister, and Blau. And it tells the story of your beautiful daughter, Lexi, and your son, Felix, and your family's story. So that's how I came to know you. And then I was just stalking you online, everywhere, and watching that film, honestly, like over and over and over, because for some reason, it like grabbed me and shook me. I was never able to stop thinking about it. So let's talk about Lexi. Let's go back to Lexi and when she was born and her diagnosis. Yeah, well, thank you. And yeah, it's nice to hear that it did mean something to you because that's what we we hoped. So I'm glad that it came across that way. It's a story that we hope that will help others and will bring awareness to not just Blau syndrome, but all rare diseases. So I'm glad that it that it meant something to you. Yeah, so to go back to to Lexi, she was born in 2012, December 16th, 2012. We're almost heading up to what would be her eighth birthday. She came into this world in a feisty way when my husband was out of the... (laughs) He was actually at a craft fair, and I had just given him a notification that everything was smooth on the Friday night, and he could stay put where he was because we'd had a little bit of complications up to that point. So I'd given him the, don't worry, everything's good Friday night. And Saturday morning at about one o'clock in the morning, my water broke and I had to give him a quick call. And it was about three in the morning where he was in a snowstorm on the other side of the, on the other side of the country. And he had to quickly make his way back and actually did make it back in time for her birth. But yeah, it was an exciting, an exciting arrival for her. And 
she had a few health concerns when she was born. She was in NICU for a little while. So we kind of got that taste of what it's like to worry so much about your child. But after the two weeks she was in there, she came out as strong and amazing as ever. So it was actually just a complete shock to us that anything could be wrong with her because she was so amazing. What was it that made you discover that something wasn't right with Lexi and you needed to maybe take her back into the doctor or investigate a little deeper? So to begin with, we actually, we had traveled the world a bit with her when she was first born because Troy's family is from Australia. So we brought her back to see her family and did a few stops on the way and she was fine during all of that time. Um, it happened to be that at the same time, my dear aunt was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So we had to make a quick trip back home. And she was about six months at that time. And so during all the kind of chaos of dealing with this news from my aunt, we ended up finding out that she had a chest infection herself, Lexi. So it was more serious than we thought it was. It ended up being a pneumonia infection, which as we know with rare disease kids was an oversight and was seen as, sure. um, we were told it was reflux, which didn't sit well with me because she had gone from such a sweet, happy, calm baby to just unbearable pain and it just wasn't right. So I left the doctor's office and went straight to a walk-in clinic and said, what do you think? This doesn't seem right to me. And he said, get her to the hospital right now. She's not breathing. That's her, you know, that's that the, the look of her is her not breathing properly. So get her in right away. So we brought her into hospital. So another scare with Lexi where we kind of, you know, overnight it was touch and go with her and really just a big scare. But again, she pulled through it and I think just, you know, realizing how vulnerable life can be, but also just never imagine that things could get even more complicated. So from there, she ended up getting, you know, recovered from that, but she started getting rashes and... You know, most people I don't don't take rashes that seriously, I find. And we were sent to an immunologist who just assumed it was food allergies. And we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what food it could be because we would take away all the foods and she'd still get these rashes. And it just seemed to be an ongoing mystery. And we'd try everything, you know, any clothing or like washing detergent, but none of that seemed to make a difference. And then finally... Troy was back on his craft fair season. He leaves for a couple months to do shows. And during that time, I was just so nervous because she'd had these crazy reactions. And I ended up just doing a test with her. I thought, I wonder if it has something to do with the sun. It just seemed to be on sunnier days, it was worse. So I kept her in the house for about you know, four days and fed her all the foods that they were concerned about. And during that time, she didn't get a single rash. So I started to think this has to be immune related. I started to notice on her hands that she had like little kind of what would look like baby fat and what we kind of all hope is baby fat in our Blau family communities. And but I just thought it didn't look right to me. And I kind of wondered about it being lupus or something like that. So, of course, Troy's away and I'm telling him all these ideas that I have. And he's just not really wanting to hear that and thinking, you must be overreacting. This can't be. <laughs> yeah, what? Like, no. I, and then, of course, he's like, close the laptop. Yeah, exactly. Get off Google. <laughs> and, you know, just, yeah, just it, it'll all be fine. So, by the time he got home, you know, I'd had these months of, of really just starting to starting to panic. And we brought her into our family doctor the day before her first birthday and showed her all the concerns we had. And we'd been in touch in between, but like for a really good physical exam. And she had a good look at her and said, yes, something's terribly wrong. She needs to get in. We'll get her into someone right away. Uh, it's almost Christmas because her birthday is December 16th. So it was almost Christmas. We don't know who we'll find at this time, but she needs to be seen right away. So she she called around and ended up getting us into a rheumatologist the next day. So yeah, it was her first birthday. We were expecting, you know, all the, the fun and excitement of Troy being home from his craft fair season and celebrating her first birthday. And instead we were in the hospital getting x-rays and blood work and you know, we finally ended up in the rheumatologist's office, and that's someone that we had quite a relationship with over the next, all the rest of her life. She was in that office a lot, but that was our first meeting with her, and 
She told us at that time she had juvenile idiopathic arthritis, which was shocking to us. We'd never heard of arthritis being a childhood illness. And, you know, it was just a, a very scary conversation about, you know, the possibility of being in wheelchair and vision loss and really, really scary medications with terrible side effects that we were going to have to be using likely for her life unless she went into remission. And yeah, we just got to realize that our little girl had been suffering with such pain that we never knew before. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So there was things like that. The reason why she wasn't crawling or walking was the pain in her joints, you know, that she couldn't put her you know, she'd do this weird thing on her high chair where she'd put her arms down rather than her hands when she was going to get up. And that was because of the pain in her joints or her neck not being able to move properly to the side. You wouldn't have noticed if you, you know, and it was just something that, you know, only a rheumatologist probably would have noticed at that point or having, you'd have to have a pretty good suspicion at that point to notice any of them, but it all made sense. And crazy enough, she was just such a happy kid, considering all of this of stuff that went on. Of course she was. That's what these dang kids do. They're so happy <laughs> and they figure out how to have so much fun, even though there's so much going on. And sometimes it makes us as parents maybe minimize it because they're so cute. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So it's her one year birthday. It's the holiday season. You finally had a doctor that listened to you. And now you're on this quest to get some answers. What happened after the idiopathic arthritis diagnosis? Well, I come from a mother who, who is a researcher and doesn't really just take the first answer she's given and has always been a health, a health guru. So I followed in her footsteps and immediately started my research. And, you know, right away that night was on every type of possible diet there was that had helped with arthritis. And I'd found an article about a kid in um, the New York Times. It was called The Boy with Thorns in His Joints. And I read everything that they did to help him get into remission. I tracked down the doctor and made an appointment with her. And we tried everything. We ended up finding a doctor who specializes in Chinese medicine in Victoria who can make up the formula that they were using in New York. And so we were so excited to have something. And we tried that and just didn't see results. We did start the heavy medication. She was put on steroids and immediately she was, you know, such a different kid. She could, she walked fairly soon after taking prednisone and it was also really scary because she would, you could tell how it affected her. She would be up and just almost like panting and it just, yeah, it was hard to describe what it looked like, but it, you could tell that something wasn't right while she was on it. She just had this crazy amount of energy and, you know, trying to get her to lie down was hard because she just had all this energy. And so it was hard to watch her go through it, but also good to see that it, something had an effect on her. The plan was to take her off such a intense medication and put her onto something that could be a bit more safer for a long-term solution. And every time we would try to wean her off, she would flare up again. It just, yeah, we just couldn't get her down from that prednisone. So we ended up trying a few different things. She was on methotextrate and then she tried the biologics. So with inflammatory illnesses, the biologics, there's a, quite a few of them. We tried our first one and Enbrel it was called. And not long after that, she came down with another rash, but a totally different rash this time. So of course I went into panic mode thinking, you know, with these biologics, they suppress the immune system. So does she have some kind of fungal thing going on? Is her body getting overthrown with fungus now? And is this rash coming from that? So I went, you know, brought her to a rheumatologist and she said, you know, she was not that concerned about the rash. In those offices, they focus so much on the joints, you know, and that is such a big thing, seeing her joints come down and she felt like the, the rash was kind of secondary. Let's get her joints under control and then we'll be concerned about that rash. But it turned out, you know, six months later, we finally got a referral to a dermatologist and we went into that children's hospital and... The doctor just looked at her and I know she knew in that moment. She didn't tell us. She had her suspicions, but she didn't tell us really what was going on. She just said, I would like to get a sample of that. And if she was an older kid, I would get them to do the sample on the spot. She's so little, I feel bad to do this right now. But, you know, this was the story of Lexi's life going through difficult procedures. And so she, they did it right away, took the sample. 
and we waited for the results. I ended up, you know, doing a lot of searching for images and it just looks so much like what Lexi had that I, you know, you want to not believe that's what your, how could our kid possibly have this crazy rare genetic syndrome? But the look was just so, I think once you've seen it, you probably don't forget. And that was the same with this doctor. She'd happened to seen it once before and it was just luck that she knew what it was. So... About a month later, we were on holidays and we got a phone call saying that she had this crazy genetic mutation that only 200 people they knew of in the world that had it. And yeah, we were kind of left on our own at that point. <laughs> I never really have felt so alone as, as getting that rare diagnosis. Yeah. Diagnosis day is, it's it's a dark day. It's a hard day. And I don't think anyone ever forgets it. No, you're right about that. And I do feel that like there isn't necessarily the supports in place for most of us who receive those diagnoses after we get them. You get the diagnosis, the answer is found, and maybe the doctors feel like their job is done at that point. Yeah. After you heard at least there were 200 other families that maybe you found a community that did help some of that isolation, or was that just a process? I think it's really tricky because I think like we had gone from thinking she had this juvenile idiopathic arthritis and we felt that that was a very small community and there is hundreds, you know, I think there's, I can't even remember because that that world kind of left us when we moved into the, the rare community, but I would say like a quarter of a million maybe in the States alone, I think there had been of with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. So we thought that was very isolating. And then to move to this like 200 patients was a whole nother level of of isolation. So we did go back and immediately, of course, we're on the computer and I'd found a support group that day. Uh, there was a Blau community. Luckily, it was great to, f I mean, the, the best thing to be able to find that there is someone at least out there that has some information. So I connected with people in that group and that was about all we had. The doctor's kind of left us with that. We we didn't even really have an appointment with a geneticist to to get this diagnosis because it was done in an odd way. So there usually I think there's genetic counseling yeah. before, but we didn't have any of that. We were like, <laughs> yeah. we actually called them. And, oh yeah, we called them and said, "Can we speak to you like is there is there maybe we could get a follow-up and find out some more about this?" <laughs> oh my gosh, Sherilyn. <laughs> And then we went to see our rheumatologist and she was just like, how did you even get this diagnosis? Like, I don't even know who you have been seeing that you got this diagnosis because it was, you know. Well, because you're a fierce <laughs> mom and you're a fierce advocate and you didn't take no for an answer and you did your own experiments with the sunlight and you Googled everything you could and you found the doctors and you made the appointments and you did it. That's how you got it. And if anyone has seen House, if there's a rash, that's always a big deal. No, yeah, it's true. I know it's such. I have such a different respect for rashes now. It's you know, and and the whole wait and see approach. I think that's something that that doctors do a lot for little kids. And I've realized how detrimental this is. And I, it's you know, we all think that we all worry about our kids, and I think it's dangerous because we're told you know, don't worry so much about them. Kids have a lot of issues and they sort it out. But if you don't look at it quickly, this is when you lose time and the time is what they need to get fast action on their treatment. So that wait and see approach is really not okay anymore for, <laughs> with all these rare diseases, it's, it's, and there's, and there's so many of us, right? We sound rare, but we're not rare. There's a lot of us. Yeah, there, there needs to be a sense of urgency. And I feel like anytime any parent hears, they'll catch up or let's just wait and see, go find a new one, go get a new doctor, go make a new appointment. There's a buzz sentence to just keep moving. That should be a kick at this point. Yes. What was the prognosis that they gave you about Blau syndrome? Can you tell us a little bit about what it is? Well, the main things that they knew of, it's been developing since we've gotten involved because there hasn't, there wasn't much research at the time. But when we first heard about it, this arthritis was a, a, a symptom of it. So a lot of inflammation, but the focus they had told us about was the arthritis, the uveitis. So it's an inflammation in the, in the, 
of the eye that can cause blindness. And then they get these rashes that are a granuloma type rash, which is like a buildup of a white blood cells, a protection mechanism. And at that stage, we didn't really know how serious the granuloma issue was. We thought it was kind of, they, they, at that stage, they made it more of a, a rash, eyes and joints, whereas the granulomas are actually all throughout the body. Like with Lexi, when they did her autopsy, her whole body was full of them. And we knew that, like we expected that it would be bad, but every single part of her body was full of granulomas. Oh my gosh. And these things can be dangerous. They can grow big. They can, you know, they can, they go into the vital organs, and they're they're very dangerous. So over time, we've gotten to know, kind of that, you know, the the risks of this being for Lexi. She had an MAS activation mass activation syndrome episode, and that's what led to her death. So we know now that this is a risk for Blau syndrome patients. But we were told we were never told that it was a risk for Lexi, and we asked. We, we definitely asked because it was a, it's something that happens with kids who have auto-inflammatory illness. So it was always a worry for us, but we were always, we were always, always told it was okay for her. Yeah. So I actually want to stop here and collect what that is exactly in a brief summary, because I feel like you sharing exactly how Lexi died was so important for families to know about, especially when maybe they're being brushed off about why their kid is in the hospital at that moment or whatever is going on. I would just like to have a little bit where we stop and really raise awareness for what exactly happened to Lexi. Yeah. So for Lexi, it's, it's a, it was an interesting thing with her that we could never figure out, like interesting as in terrifying, but she would, um, you know, if, if, if she got a cold or anything like that, you know, if, if a virus of any type, she would end up spending a lot of time after in these these episodes it is hard to describe what would happen but it would it was it was really like her body would go into shock almost is how i would describe it so it is almost like she would pass out she would just um like sometimes her eyes would kind of roll back in her and she'd just have to sleep and sometimes there was different parts of her body that would get into excruciating pain sometimes it was in her head sometimes it was in her legs but these episodes were just awful. And sometimes they were fairly fast. Maybe it might last for a few days. And sometimes they would go on for months. We went on a trip to Australia once and she had caught something there and she came back and she ended up being in the hospital in and out for months after, like just an unbearable pain and, and different parts, her stomach, her head, her, you know, all the joints we were used to having pain with, but it was all different other parts that would flare up with it. So this is something that would happen a lot with her and something that I, you know, we were always so scared of why these things happened, but none of her doctors really took these that, you know, that seriously. There was never kind of a plan put in place or an understanding of what these, what these episodes were. And so October last year, she'd had a couple colds at school and I had just actually been talking to her school about about pulling her out and looking for a different method because for her because she had done so well in kindergarten you know she didn't really get sick much in kindergarten she did well and then one month of grade one and she'd had two or three colds already so I was in a kind of a panic and had sent a message the day that she was sick saying we need to think of a different plan for her and then that same day, that was the day, you know, the last day that we had her home. It went so fast. She was, she was actually supposed to go in and get joint injections done on her knees the next day. So she always does a fast before that. So she went to bed, you know, really nervous about her appointment, but also excited that she got to do her three o'clock in the morning pancake breakfast because we always had and banana pancakes because she was always on special diets with no sugars and gluten. So it was just pancake. It was just really sorry, banana and egg mixed together and it turns into amazing pancakes. So she was excited about that. Um, you know, she went to bed full of energy. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just don't apologize. So yeah, as Lexi as ever, <laughs> just an amazing, you know, boisterous, lively kid, but also dealing with so much, but, and showing that vulnerability, but also so bravely facing it. And then she woke up 
at about two in the morning, sick, like throwing up and very sick. So I brought her into bed with us. Um, Troy was leaving to go on a craft fair, leaving out of town because it was the start, very day one of his craft fair season. Yeah. So he, he left that morning kind of worrying, you know, about her, but, but we've been through this before and my mom was here and we just, you know, thought that it would be like any other time that she gets unwell. It's going to be rough, but we'll get through it. And the day was just really hard. She was, she had struggled all day to, to keep anything down. And on that day, I had talked about how we needed to get her steroids right. I was really worried about how much to give her. It's always an ongoing thing with steroids because they're so hard on the body, but also, and, and these things happen a lot of times. So if you were doing it all the time, it could cause a lot of problems. So I was scared to give her too much, but also really aware in my mind of how vital these steroids were for her. And the problem is with infections, people are scared of steroids because it can you know, you, you're worried about fighting off your infection. If you are suppressing your immune system, how is your body going to fight off the infection? So it's always that fine balance to know whether to treat the infection or the inf inflammation. So we spent the day at home and I'd been in touch with her doctor and just saying that I was worried about her. And eventually at you know, seven o'clock that night, I we took her in to the hospital um, and she just plummeted so quickly by that point. She was in really rough shape and we brought her in. And yeah, it was just a, conf it was a, one of those times where it's very terrifying to see her, to see this small child in such a terrible state with her blood pressure so low and like very low responsiveness. And, you know, at that stage, they had told us it was sepsis and, I was very, I brought up my concerns about worrying that it was an inflammatory response rather than it being infection and that she's had similar things like this before, been into that same hospital with this before. And they were really, what we had heard was that it was sepsis. So she had was given steroids in the hospital and that's what you would treat your MAS episodes with high doses of steroids. And we were under the understanding that she was getting those high doses of of steroids. So I felt like you are taking care of what you think it is, but you're also treating her with the medication that I would be using. So I feel like we're covered here. Um, of course, poor Troy was in Alberta on his own. You know, I'm telling him he needs to get home and I don't know if our daughter's going to make the night. <laughs> he ended up getting, came out and ended up having to fly in and meet us at Children's Hospital in the morning in Vancouver because she was airlifted from Victoria to Vancouver in the morning. And then we transferred over to a new team. So we were, we had to meet with everybody, all these new doctors again. And, you know, it was hard to get information between doctors. It was really chaotic, you know, the transfer of information between hospitals. You wouldn't imagine that that in one province, let alone in one country, that you would have such difficulty communicating across these places. But we were there with our, you know, trying to scribe notes down and understand what was going on. And it was just so much confusion. And she seemed to, when we got there, she was in really rough shape. And the doctor had told us she was really worried we wouldn't take her home, which was a I just wanted to take her back to where she came from because I felt like I if you're if you don't think I'm taking her home then I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> That's not what I want to hear. So and I actually had asked them. I said when I went into the room, I said I really just want to take her home. I I want to get her home. And they said the nurse said to me, Oh, I know it can be really difficult to bring a body back across home. And I just thought. Um, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I want to take her home now. Well, I'm not talking about her body. Like, this is not, yeah, this is a nightmare. I don't, am I aware? Yeah, this is just a nightmare. I don't know. I just want to go back to where we came from. So anyway, we, we ended up in, after a little while, her, she started to do better. Her, her symptoms were a lot better. And by the time my son came into the room, I mean, she was in horrible shape, but but to us, she looked a bit better. And the doctor who had seen her at, that, at, the, at the beginning kind of gave us this 
bit of hope that it seems like things are doing so much better. And at first I thought she wasn't going home, but I've changed my mind and have a lot more hope now for her. So things were doing a lot better and it kind of let us let our guard down. Not completely. I mean, we were still looking at things and we got in touch with a doctor in Toronto who had been amazing to Lexi. And so we brought him in and, you know, so we had things going on, but it was feeling a little bit better. But the next morning, strange things were happening. Her liver counts were high. They started talking to us about a possible liver transplant and all sorts of, you know, scary things were going on. And that's when I was able to get back to my normal self and say, wait a minute, it's time to pull a team together. We need to we need to be in touch with every doctor in the world. We sent out a social media post that got like a thousand shares and we had people from hospitals all over Boston and Harvard and, you know, and California, people were bringing in ideas. And um, we had used this doctor in Toronto as a, as a point person for the doctors to speak to. And we had such an amazing team. And I felt like, you know, if we had a bit more time, this team could have, we would have, it was amazing just to see these people work together with us. And we had a team going through every Blau research paper that was ever written with a fine tooth comb to see anything that could have looked like this before. We had, you know, just so many pieces that were all being orchestrated together and it just felt like this had to work. So, but then on that Saturday night, we finally got to the point where we were going to give her this high dose steroid treatment and they were just getting her ready for it. And her stats just went crazy. Her blood pressure started dropping and they tried to treat it and she ended up going in for a quick CAT scan. But when they left the room, we knew she wasn't coming back. And that's how fast it can happen with these inflammatory responses. And that's what we're seeing with COVID patients, right? The same kind of response with these immune systems that are more dangerous than the infection itself. And it goes fast. There's no... You know, there's just, we had, when we had first asked how quickly we, or how much time we had to make the decision about giving her this crazy high dose of steroids, like she would normally take, you know, five at the most a day, and they were talking 500. So it was a, you know, a big, a big question for us. Do we do this? And how long do we have to think, oh, you've got time, you know, we've got time to make this decision. And there was no time. There was absolutely no time. So in the end, you know, we left there thinking that it was an inflammatory response, but we actually didn't think we would ever get the answers. We thought it would always be an unknown. And when we did get the autopsy, it was confirmed that it was an inflammatory response. So she she died of an MAS HLH episode and... I think partly because we had gotten those test results, we requested those test results that they were able to confirm what had happened to her. Also, one of another big problem was that when they look for these MAS episodes, they look at their ferritin, I believe it is. I'm sometimes sorry, not even thinking straight, but I, but the the levels were not as high as they would have expected. But the thing is, when I've looked at research papers since, that's the way it is. When you're on a biologic, the numbers are not accurate. Like they, you know, are they're accurate, but they are are suppressed because of the immune response. But these are all things that had I known in the moment, I would have seen like that was the first paper. When I Googled that, I could see it right away. So these are the things that you can find if you knew that you were looking for this. We just had been told it's still on Troy's from that day. I just found it in his drawer the other day, the notes that he'd written down um, as options when we had sent out requests for help. That was one of the ones that had been asked for, and it was on his list of notes, and we'd asked. I mean, it was something that we had brought up, and we were told that it, it didn't seem like that would be what it was. But I, Troy told me the other day that he had carried that little note around with him for five months in his pocket. <laughs> Such regret. <laughs> but the most upsetting thing, too, was that, you know, if you do, if you dig deep enough in the Blau research, there are other kids or other people who have had... MAS episodes. And it's just so hard to find these research papers. It's like, you know, a needle in a haystack to find 
all of these papers and we have a collection like on our website our cure bs website we have a collection of of web of these research papers and we still haven't found them all so it, it took some very specific like hard digging to find these papers but there were examples and i just you know to me one of my things that i will always fight for is that rare disease patients who have complex illness need a good care plan in place and need to know what are the what are the possibilities of things that could go wrong and Troy and I tried so hard to figure that all out we did lit reviews of our own lit reviews of figuring out all the symptoms we had them all written down but we didn't know about those ones and and also i i mean to be able to have accessed all the papers would have made that difference but also for people to know how lexi responds and when she was having those episodes what what should have been in place for her when she had that episode like you know that that steroids were her most effective treatment and specifically her methylprednisone that's what she took whereas they had given her cortisone in the in the room that when she arrived and there's still controversy about that and i mean the people who saw her in that room are amazing doctors they're phenomenal i actually like he'd worked with lexi before and i have the most respect ever for for the team that looked after her i think that that awareness for specifically for autoinflammatory patients of the type of steroids they're using but anyway all of this i think it would have helped that team if she had a really good care plan in place when when everything hit the fan <laughs> like that's what you need is to know what you're dealing with and not to be trying to put it together in the moment as a mom and dad watching their child and like losing their child in front of them and trying to put this all together uh, having having all of the patients and all of the data on them kind of in one place that can be cross cross referenced and accessed in the moment and maybe even looked at prior to so you could yeah like you said make that care plan absolutely and i think i don't know i may be naive in how this all works but to me that's the thing that seemed to be the biggest thing missing there is is some kind of critical care plan for a complex case the crowdsourcing part of the story is really beautiful how everyone kind of came came together to try to save lexi yeah they really did and i believe if we had if we had had that the day before you know i think that things would be different so you know when we got comfortable it's actually felix that that brought this to my attention and he just he was frustrated with the team because he had seen their hope you know that he had he had worried about her but then he saw them get hopeful about that she was going to be okay and he was kind of talking about his frustrations and he said you know they figured they knew what it was and they stopped doing their job and i wouldn't say they stopped doing their job i know they were still looking you know it's a it's not that simple it's definitely not that simple but i think we all kind of do that when you think things are okay you you don't necessarily you know don't have that pressure to look for other solutions you think okay this that maybe this is working whatever they're doing is working but you know in that moment if 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 we had the day before realized that things weren't working and we were able to pull that team together at that point i think it would have made all the difference Felix's insight and wisdom is always something that I've admired in his young little little brain. But I was wondering, do you feel like that hope that maybe that doctor gave you in those last hours was a disservice? Or do you feel like maybe it helped you to kind of relax a little bit and gaze upon Lexi and imagine coming back home? No, there was definitely no relaxing or like nice moments like that it was um i was still looking for other other things that could be going on because i never i was i'm not one to kind of just relax when those things happen i did sleep okay that night but i would never i would i would never have wanted that sleep like that i know that you know i just wished i hadn't slept and that i'd spent the whole night figuring things out instead of getting to sleep but that's um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of regrets in looking back with these things um and the only reason i even do that because i 
because it will literally kill you to have that level of regret and stress and guilt. But the only thing that you can do with it is turn it into something positive, which is to help other people to learn from that mistake and hope that other people who have, you know, these these similar scenarios that there's a different approach. And I think knowing about um, your immune system and how these reactions occur is something that has become such a big deal. And now every time we read about it in the news, you just get this, if Lexi's situation had happened after COVID, there would have been so much more information because now everybody is talking about that. And they're talking about oh my the medications that, that are, are working are the same kind of medications that they would have used for Lexi. So, you know, as soon as, as soon as COVID started coming around and I started hearing of this stuff, you get that immediate, well, you know, this is the kind of stuff that they should be using, you know, in our minds, because we live that life. So I can see now that a lot of the doctors who are who are specialists in this are getting involved, because this is, you know, what we live. This is the this is our area of expertise. So I really love that you practice, you know, moving forward after losing your child uh, and living in the light that Lexi uh, shared with everyone because she did. Yeah, like I said, I just felt so, I felt so much from Lexi, especially, you know, listening to her belt out that song from Annie, The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. And I just feel like that song for your family was maybe some future medicine in a way. I don't know Yeah, yeah. if I can even say that, but yeah, she's an, she was an incredible person. Yeah. She really was. She, she, it's a very, you know, just like such a big hole without her. She was just, you know, she had so much personality and she was so hilarious. And, you know, it was a nonstop fun and laughs with her around because she just had such a grown up, incredible way of looking at the world. And she was just so happy to do whatever I wanted. I, I'm never, I was never much of a, one to play with the kids and stuff, but she was always happy to clean up with me or cook with me or do whatever job around awesome. the house. And she, and she always just brought such a good sense of humor about it. She had, yeah, she had just such a good, just a, yeah, a great personality to be around. So it's certainly missed, but we do think that, you know, even just hearing you say about your connection to Lexi, that I try to, to look at those things and think that even after her loss, that people are still getting to know her. Like, you know, the idea that you can still get to know Lexi when she's not physically here anymore is amazing to me and something that I try to hold on to or that she can still be making an impact. And I think that a lot of, you know, I've, you start to realize how much people's impact happens so much more after they die than while they even live. So her impact will continue on. And she should have, she was a kid that would have made a huge difference in the world. And I think that's one of the things that parents suffer with when they lose their child is those future dreams and hopes being crushed. But I hope to keep those alive and to keep her work moving on. She And she was so much more than just about her her illness she had she wanted to make the world a better place and that's what we hope to continue to do in different ways so well i think i think you're you're all doing an amazing job with that and i'm i'm really honored to be watching it from my point of view and i know felix just got awarded something really exciting for his work in helping to cure blouse syndrome and raise awareness for it. And Lexi, can you tell us a little bit about what Felix has been doing? Yeah. So Felix and Lexi were both nominated recently for the Rare Champion of Hope with Global Genes, which is really exciting. And they are, I mean, Felix is just, his whole Life has been about his sister and dealing with rare disease and knowing the suffering and pain that comes with it. And he is so dedicated to finding help and to making people, you know, for them to do better, whatever way that we can do that. And he, right from the time that we lost Lexi, like when we left the hospital, he, the room with her, he just started and he went through a few different things going through his mind and then he said 
mom, I need to know everything about blouse syndrome. Like, what are you thinking? I'm like, I, in my mind, I'm like, I'm done with blouse syndrome. Like, like, I don't ever want to hear blouse syndrome again. And he's like, I want to know everything about it. I need to, and this is literally as we were walking out of the hospital and he was spinning in circles, just the stress of everything he was going through and looked like, a, you know, just all, processing all these emotions, trying to figure out blouse syndrome and all the medications we'd used and how they, whether, how they worked or didn't work. And I finally said, Felix, do you understand this isn't going to bring Lexi back? And he just said, of course, I know that mom, but she wasn't the only one. There are so many other kids oh with this God. <laughs> and we can't let this happen to anyone else. Oh my God. what an amazing person so that is amazing and i'm sorry i didn't realize that uh lexi was also nominated for that that's really special um i love that so much yeah so what's going on with the blau syndrome research plan right now so at the moment we are putting together this well actually in the last little while i've been working on a rare disease documentary and i've met all sorts of family it's been a therapy to me to to speak to you know families who have lost and who are continuing battles and and fearing the worst that we've been through you know just all these different stories and knowing how many people there are out there that are it's it's a, such a mixed thing you feel terrible that people go through it but you also feel you know like like when you meet people in a rare disease community you no one wants to be you know we don't want to be in that community but we when you are there's still this this connection that helps lift you and I've been finding that with this with this scenario and I've learned so much and just you know that whole idea of how now seems a lot more clear to me of the steps that need to be taken to find a cure for Blau syndrome and just how you know how simple it is of an equation that you know you've got your you need your patients because they provide the samples and the disease history and you need your um, you need your researchers who can understand the disease mechanism and how, what can possibly fix it. And then you need the funding. And, you know, the funding seems overwhelming and huge, and especially for us because we really don't have any funds yet. But but when you... Pretty much all of <laughs> us, right? <laughs> but when you break it down and you realize, I think one of the things that got me most um, interested was how little funds, like the seed funding of doing that first basic research study can lead to two things. One is the big NIH funding. So you, if you've got that good understanding of the disease and you can take that study forward, you can apply for big funds. And the other piece is that it is something that you can bring forward to like the drug developers and to gene therapists. I, you know, you're not going to get these busy people to stop their everything to try and understand how the disease works and then find your solution. You need to bring something to them first. So this is, you know, being able to understand, to break it down into something small like that was just such an eye opener to me. Like, yes, we don't need to have a million dollars right now. You know, the number that kept coming to me was 50,000. I, you know, from from all these different people I spoke with, 50,000 was a good amount to get yourself a good disease characterization study. And, you know, from that to lead on to other things. So I feel like we've got a good goal in sight now to get that that done. We've got researchers ready to do it. (laughs) You know, we've got the patients, we've got the researchers. Thanks to Felix, actually, he connected us through the me, my sister and Blau to one of this amazing, amazing researcher who's willing to look at this for us. And now we just need to get that funding. And, you know, at the moment, we're doing some fundraisers and hoping that that we can get that going and, and at least you know, and maybe people will understand more about what happened with this disease by doing those those studies too to find out. You know, while we're waiting for a cure, we have to make sure we stop these deaths from happening. So, a cure is definitely the dream, but we also need people to know how the how people are being affected by Blau, so that you know we don't have this was our second big loss in eleven months. Um, Lexi's little friend Hayden, that she, the only other child that she had met with Blau syndrome, died 11 months before her. And those two, you know, two in 11 months of these amazing six-year-olds just 
we can't have more of those. So we need to, we need, we need to stop the deaths and while we're working on finding a cure. So there's two, two pieces to keep going with that. Yeah. I love that you were able to kind of put it up into a picture like that and take it into small bites, <laughs> small bites of huge things <laughs> and kind of uh, take it a little more step by step so you can kind of get somewhere with it and not feel as overwhelmed as maybe you did before thinking about it that way. And also if Felix on the case, I have yes. no doubt. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm so happy that you and your family have been able to do what you have been doing all along, but especially in the last year and afterwards. I mean, I don't think any year is probably going to be easier in all of the ways for you, but I really admire you and I'm, I'm just, I'm really honored to have been connected. Thank you so much. I just wanted to know that if you could drop by and visit Lexi tomorrow, what would that ideal day look like? Oh my goodness. What would that day look like? It would be a lot of snuggling. She's the best snuggler ever. And there would be a lot of just silly jokes being told because she loved to laugh and that laugh is the most infectious amazing raspy belly laugh ever there would be a lot of music and dancing and she loves her her music and singing and oh I just wouldn't let her go <laughs> that's the hard thing you can talk about having a day together but you would never you would there's never one day just wouldn't be enough so you just couldn't let it you couldn't let her go uh Sherilyn thanks I I, I wish I could talk to you all day <laughs> <laughs> yes well hopefully one day we can meet in person but thank you and I know yeah <laughs> it's time to go I hope you've been enjoying this podcast if you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.